Mother and daughter duo Sally Gardner and Lydia Corrie have both had much success publishing books in their own rights. Sally has a long list of award-winning titles from early years to older readers, including the much-loved Wings and Co. Detective series and Carnegie Medal-winning title Maggot Moon. Lydia has illustrated many titles for an array of authors and her authored debut title Marvellous Magicians was published in September 2020. More recently, Sally and Lydia have collaborated on a new series of books about the Tindums, tiny creatures who turn our rubbish into treasure. Nikki Gamble spoke to the duo and began by asking Lydia to tell us more about the Tindums. Growing up, I was a massive fan of the borrowers. So the, we have to cite the borrowers as a mega, mega influence and inspiration. Um, and that's sort of how the idea started to develop was a bit a group of small creatures that the human human people don't know anything about and they live on an island in the sea a, a movable island that's called rubbish island and they have built their own island out of everything that they've found floating around in the sea um and and that's how it sort of all began really so they're sort of small and overlooked by humans but are kind of currently dealing with the human waste <laughs> situation Mm. and on rubbish island I think there's three different families and there's some other characters as well they're all very different one character broom he's he's the tallest tindim he's a sort of giant compared to say pinch who is a sort of a tindim dog and then you have the tindim children which are skittle brew and baby mug cup sorry (laughs) baby cup and then you have the grown-ups um it's a whole range of sort of eclectic characters really now the grown-ups I mean the the children are quite sensible the grown-ups are wonderfully eccentric and I'm going to say that my favorite is Ethel Bedina and she sings to the fish to make them feel better she's wonderful so They have a motto, these Tindims, rubbish today, treasure tomorrow. And I suppose that's where it departs from the borrowers in as much as we're living in a very different world to Mary Norton's 1950s, where this now has a real social underpinning, the the need to recycle. Definitely. The Tindims sort of explains in the first book that the Tindims have been around for a very long time before the Vikings. There wasn't really a problem until recently because they were mostly collecting and building their island with floating driftwood and the occasional glass bottle and some sort of, you know, treasure (laughs) that fell off ships. Um, And there wasn't this rubbish crisis that there is today. And so now they really are really struggling with this overwhelming amount of plastic that they are trying to sort of fish out of the water and also dealing with this sort of ecological fallout for the fish and so it's they're little people but they're sort of dealing with the human consequences and also, of, I think they're complete as we know is they're completely baffled by what is in these plastic bottles and when they see still and sparkling well she has a saying of oh, my still and sparkling darlings um <laughs> which he says all the time, because they basically they don't understand what still and sparkling is. And they can't believe it could be water mm. that is now floating around and causing all this trouble. I love that bit, Sally, where, you know, they're kind of pondering why water is on the outside of a bottle 
And somebody says, well, I think it's what the long legs put in the bottle. Oh, no, it couldn't possibly. You know, there's bits surrounded by water. They can't possibly be putting the water in the bottles. And also, I think I've always loved developing the comedy delati, sort of collection of characters. And you only know if you've got them right when you start pulling at them in, in a way, making sort of elasticity, you know, making stretching them to see how far they'll go. And in these four books, they just all of them have stepped up to the mark going, yeah, ready for it. This is really unusual in a writing. It seems that actually it's not strictly just a writing illustration partnership. It's a co-creation of these sets of books. And that's actually quite different, isn't it, to maybe other projects where you send off a manuscript, you get it illustrated. Yeah, it's, How different has that been for both of you? It's been a completely unique project because we worked so closely together. I mean, since I was a child, mum's always talked about all her stories to us. So that's a very natural part of what we always talk about is story ideas. So that was nothing new. But what was new was being able to put it together and actually turn it into something that we both could work on together. Um, there was no sort of separation. We just talked through all the ideas. I would do sketches of the characters. Mum would be coming up with names and ideas and how this item might work. And, you know, we had this sort of idea of sort of initially it was a sort of visual idea of me drawing the island with this. It has a kind of large top space but it also the island it's quite big underwater as well it has lots of underwater rooms the fish hospital is underwater spokes is engine rooms underwater and that all started with a little sketch and then mum was like oh I like this and then we developed through that it was all really as well inspired by thinking about what my daughter how she, how she would love that island to look and to work you know little tunnels that move through it and secret spaces secret ways of seeing under the water it's a really sort of a fun place to be and a fun place to set the story as well the island moves so it's it's operated by Captain Spoons and Admiral Bonnet it's a team effort they're really <laughs> a, a sort of community off-grid community and they have lots and lots of adventures what we liked was the idea that this little group hadn't as yet met the long legs mm. and so we've got Tiddledim the explorer who has met the long legs and he becomes this sort of icon in all the other books people talk about Tiddledim and then finally we get to meet him. And I, I, I really like that. I really like that idea of um, bringing in an other, tin, you know, Tindims um, from that the, there are other little islands floating around there and they're bravely trying to do things. What um, it does is it gives it a depth. It's almost like it has its own mythology and, and is a really important part of the stories later on. Lydia, I just wondered whether your daughter had any play in this lots of her phrases <laughs> that she 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 went through a phase of saying that's a fact actually oh. all pretty much consistently after <laughs> every statement so that become that became a major part of how pinch speaks it's one of his favorite sayings um yeah it's great it's great having a five-year-old at home because you can run things past her you can show her drawings and you can see instantly the things that clearly communicate or excite her and the things that she sort of wanders away from and I'm sort of running after going have another look she is quite a nice character when Lydia talks about us growing up with story and she's growing up with story but Lydia actually helped me on quite a few books when I was doing illustrations and on the Countess's Calamity I did it all with these little dolls houses and Lydia and me made 
quite a lot of the sets together and nearly drove each other bonkers trying to get these chairs to stand up right. But And then Lydia illustrated the front cover I Coriander, which became the very iconic little girl in the, the little square of I Coriander. And I never forget, I had to buy her this green paint, which was phenomenally expensive green paint. And um, I said to her when I saw the picture, of her, where is the green paint? I said, oh, it's in the corner little corner up there. <laughs> and then when I went to Glasgow to see her um you know her final degree or what it was a degree show there was all the green paint <laughs> wow well that, well spent money I'd say well spent that's a lovely lovely story I mean as well as uh, recycling or even upcycling the tindings are and it goes hand in hand but they are collectors too and there are lots of collections collections of wooden spoons collections of buttons and I imagine Sally that you probably have quite a few collections do you have a button box I've got to ask you I I, I love buttons I I do love buttons and I am a, a great collector of all sorts of ridiculous things that are totally useless <laughs> mm. I had an idea for a book where, every, you know, like the buttons on um, Cinderella's jacket would tell the story or a buckle would tell the story. And so it would all be seen from the viewpoint of a button. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I never got to do it because I wrote Coriander instead. <laughs> One of the joys of the Tindims, which I have to say reads aloud really well the repetition just invites a young reader to join in they know what's coming it's very playful in its language tell us something about for instance your naming of the days and the times of the day and all of those sorts of things I love words I love playing with language and this was just a perfect opportunity not to go midday morning and to do neap tide and really it was quite easy I went to all the tides you know looked at all the tides and there's so there's so many lovely descriptions of it the ebb tide and and then I just thought of the days you know we I went through quite a few I think tuna day had several because there were several on tea but we settled on tuna and winkle day for Wednesday. and so it was just great fun making up all this sort of language of stuff that they would be very very keen on also they get things wrong like they they find pieces of wrapping paper and they must have read about stiff upper lips somewhere along the line because they think that's what you need to eat a rock cake though they've no idea what a rock cake is and Mm. I love them sort of getting misunderstanding our rubbish and also making up the poems I mean they were very silly poems but I thoroughly enjoyed doing all that. Lydia I wanted to ask you this is very different because a lot of it's in black and white mm-hmm. and the other yeah. things that we've talked about have been in colour. So when you create these pictures, are you creating them in colour or in black and white? It's Yeah, they're all done in black and white. Um, the covers were done in black and white and then coloured actually digitally, which is, I haven't really done that before, but that gave us lots of sort of scope because we really wanted each cover to stand out and have its own palette. So I worked a lot in my own work in black and white so it's quite um I I enjoy that too and and there's a sort of speed with this uh, a sort of style that we we wanted to have a really strong sense of style to identify it it was all quite a natural process because we because we could talk and communicate so closely Mm -hmm. um we just kind of felt a bit like when the stories worked we knew they worked and when the images worked we were both very happy with them just to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the 
regular uh, features uh, of the illustration. One is that there are quite a lot of cutaways that show how things work, whether it's a ship or um, a lighthouse. Reminded me very much of the Wallace and Gromit or Heath Robinson. Were you just kind of designing something that looked nice or in your head, were you working out how that contraption would work? You know, it's definitely important. It was important that it looked like it could work. Children love seeing the workings out and really it, it sort of really explodes the environment into something real when you can sort of almost zoom out or zoom in. So there were lots of yeah, discussions about sort of diet, including a kind of a slight sort of nod to a diagrammatical kind of layout that would allow children to kind of see the whole island and the workings. The map was quite important on the first page. So it's definitely part mm. of the design kind of plan, I suppose. Mm. Oh. Yeah, it was really fun to draw them because there's so many little bits and yeah, different rooms, different settings. That fish hospital was really fun to draw because trying to work out where the fishes would all be. There's there's at one point in the first story where she has a sort of huge turtle bath where all the turtles are and she has to sort of get in there with them to sing them their lullabies and give them their medicine. And the fish inside the fish tanks was really fun. Some of the fishes have uh, a sort of standing light, a bedside table and um, a little a little blanket for when they go to sleep. Mm. Um, all those small details that kind of, we wanted it to be that a lot, that the illustrations did a lot of work where that so that the writing could be really efficient as well. Without a lot of the words. So that was quite interesting as well to sort of write and take out. I think it's a very interesting exercise to do and to know that Lydia would put it in. But it was good to put it there. It was like a marker, like, oh, we must remember not to. Yeah, we had quite an interesting process in actually turning it into a layout. So me and mum would get together and we'd go through the whole manuscripts and we would highlight anything that could be taken out of the manuscript and put in visually instead. Mm-hmm. So we, me and mum worked out together each page and we, and we divided the whole book up and the whole flow of it because there are certain spreads where there's no text on the spread, which was really fun. But we made all those decisions together. Yeah. While you're talking about the flow... There's something that I uh, really appreciated in the design of the book, and that's how you dealt with chapter breaks. The kinds of things that you might expect people just to read over quickly, but actually they give a really important feel to the punctuation of the book. It's the way that Sally, I don't know when you decided to have these little chapter introductions, you know, like those old fashioned stories in which da, 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 da. I decided really early on. In fact, that was the first decision I made because I I think my granddaughter, Sylvie, likes to know what's going to happen. And I thought, yeah, I felt like that as a little person. I didn't want to know if it was going to be very sad or about a dog or a cat and I was going to get upset. I really wanted to know. So I thought it'd be rather good to put them so everyone sort of got a glimpse that it was all right, really. Mm -hmm. Then it became a, a sort of punctuation thing all the way through it mm-hmm. and I think for this age group particularly I want to tell them a good story and I always want to hold their hand and walk them gently through it in a way mm-hmm. that they're safe mm-hmm. so there will be frightening things happening to the tin dims but actually hey ho they all end up having tea mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. exactly <laughs> and you know along with your text 
I also have to say that Lydia's decorative pieces for those little pages are absolutely gorgeous. There's a collection of shells, a collection of spoons, and those in themselves are just, you know, beautiful to look at and and talk about. I think we should just talk a little bit uh, briefly about each of the four books. And I know that Sally has agreed to read to us, which will be an absolute treat. So the first book is called The Tindance of Rubbish Island. It basically introduces the reader to the main characters. And we have little episodes, chapter by chapter episodes that introduce those characters. Then we move on to book number two, which is The Tindams and the Ten Green Bottles. Sally, just tell us briefly about that story. Well, the Ten Green Bottles, they have to be glass to make a sound. And they make a bottle rama and they play it when they have a guest coming to the island. But they really very rarely have anyone come to the island. And so they've always assumed that they've got the ten green bottles. And then to their amazement, Tiddledin, the explorer, turns up on the horizon. And they're horrified to discover they don't have ten green bottles. They have thousands of thousands of plastic bottles but not one glass bottle and it's really about their quest to go and find the uh, bottles but it starts with saving a whale. The third book is The Tiddledims and the Turtle Tangle. We have the long legs taking part yes. in this story don't well, we? Th- this is taken from um, I was called Turtle when I was born so Turtle was my nickname so I have a sort of very fondness for turtles. And um, I looked at a turtle rescue place and really the story was taken from what they have to deal with and they go to this beach and they have to clear the whole beach. And if they don't clear the whole beach, the turtles all get, they hatch, but they can't find the sea because there's so much rubbish, they don't know which direction they're going in. And that's the end of the little baby turtles. So anyway, they by default end up on a beach with the long legs. There's a big disaster with Bottle Mountain and they happen to come across some conservationists who are heading off to help the turtles hatch. And um, this is really the story about what happens and also the story about where Pinch, our furry furry pet, um, really becomes incredibly brave and thinks only of rescuing turtles. Mm. But Pinch is quite a hard thing to do. Yeah, fantastic. What was really interesting is uh, the bringing in of the long legs in this story. And you've given us quite a lot of time to really develop a relationship with the Tindims. I thought that was really clever rather than having them there right at the beginning. Yes, we, we knew we had to meet the long legs and the little long legs. But I was really very keen that we didn't touch on them on the first book um, or, the, or the second. I just wanted them you know, a, a little bit in the distance. And then I think with Turtle Tangle, it's a moving thing because for, for um, long legs, when they get to a certain age, they can't see the Tintins. Um, and I'm afraid you know, it's one of the losses. And the son can see the Tintins. And it really make, it makes the father remember his childhood. Mm. Um, and also connect again with his son. Mm, definitely and also a classic idea in children's literature of you know passing through childhood and perhaps forgetting something that was really important some people can hang on to that you know 
uh, some of us can remain both adult and child at the same time. Um, and I think that's that's a lovely idea. Now, Sally, would you set up what book four? Uh, well, about? book four, I love book four. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't involve long legs, but it involves a fog called the guppa fog. And the guppa fog is a very special kind of fog. And it can take a squid from the sea and it wraps itself around and it can help it go into the lake of still waters, which is obviously drinking water. And the squid can manage it. But the guppa fog is so missing its squid that it doesn't want to leave. Because no one on none of the tindims want the fog, it gets sadder and sadder and bigger and thicker and more persistent. And it's really a story about, you know, they're island folk. And it's about sometimes welcoming in a stranger can be mm. a very good thing indeed. But in the fog, in amongst all the fog, Ethel Bedina thinks the moon has fallen into the sea. And they're very, very concerned about this because all the fishes from down in the depths keep coming up. Mm. So these books are, uh, they're not very long. And yet, just listening to both of you talk, just because they're short, just because they're highly illustrated, just because they're written for young children, doesn't mean they don't deal with deep and profound issues. It just deal with them in a way in which they can take that uh, through the story. Uh, Sally, you're going to read to us. Yes, I am. So this is chapter one I'm going to read from you. Chapter one. Where Spokes comes up with a plan, but Pinch isn't too sure. The Tindims call autumn Driftsy. It's a time of mist and fogs, when Ruru trees lose their leaves and strange rubbish is washed up in Turtle Bay. It's a time to make sure that the roofs aren't leaking and the windows and doors don't rattle. This Driftsy, thanks to Spokes's brainwave, each house had a phone something they had never had before. Spokes had the idea after an adventure of the ten green bottles. He said all this getting lost malarkey had to stop. It was most worrying not knowing where everyone was. There aren't that many tindims in the first place, he said. We can't afford to go losing each other willy-nilly. As Barnacle Bow had helped Spokes with the design of the old cable car that used to run from Granny Gull's houseboat to Captain Spoon's house, Spokes asked for his help again. Together, they designed a simple tin-dim phone system. It was better by far than the old tin phone, which Spokes used to talk to Captain Spoon's in the wheelhouse. Putting in the new phone system involved a lot of digging, and that is where Pinch, Skittles' furry-purry pet, found spokes down a hole. Why are you down a hole? You are not a mole. Oh, that rhymes actually, said Pinch. I'm putting in a phone system, said Spokes. So if you want to speak to Skittle, you can call her and tell her where you are. Why would I want to do that? asked Pinch. Most of the time she's right next to me and I can see where she is. Well, if not Skittle, Granny Gull perhaps suggested Spokes. Why would I do that? Well, I can run over and say hello, asked Pinch. Spokes didn't have any more answers, but he did have a lot of holes to dig. Pinch wandered off 
to look for Skittle and Brew. But then an urgent thought came to him and he rushed back to find Spokes. Spokes, he called. He couldn't see him anywhere. He looked down one hole and then another until finally he found Spokes having a break and a cup of ghee with Barnacle Bow. The thing is, said Pinch, Tim Dims don't get lost on Rubbish Island. It's only when we leave the island that the trouble begins. Smokes smiled. Now I've thought of that, he said, and he pointed up to the treehouse. At the very top was a pole sticking out through the branches into the sky. What is that? asked Pinch. It's a wireless mast and it should pick up a tin dim signal. Spokes took one of his natty designed phones and pressed a few buttons. Who are you calling? asked Pinch. You'll see, said Spokes. Oh, great. I'm very much in love with these little tin dims. It seems to me that they could have a life beyond the books. I mean, I could see them on the stage. I could see them on TV. <laughs> definitely thought that we definitely love that (laughs) it's been such a visual story to develop so we've always seen it almost like a yeah little show in our heads so it would it would be a really lovely jump for it any further books to come it's definitely something we would yeah like to continue we haven't got anything sort of fixed as of yet just a rough idea haven't we we, yeah we have excellent Thank you so much to both of you for giving me double joy today in exploring the Tindims. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. Yes. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.